listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning, friends. Thank you for being here this morning. We're so glad you are. Uh, My name is Pastor Jason, if you don't know, if you're new to the mission. And uh, I just wanted to welcome you and and thank you for uh, braving the streets of Redlands on the Believe Walk Day. I hope you participated in the event because it's an awesome event. It's really cool. And they do a lot of funding for cancer research. And it's just an incredible thing that they do every year. And uh, so... um, So we're starting a new sermon series today, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But one thing you may not know about me, you may or may not know this actually, is that I have uh, two sons. Uh, My oldest son is named Dylan, and he's about to turn 10. I can't believe it. That that officially makes me old, I think. And and, uh, my youngest son, Owen, is seven, and uh, they're awesome boys. I love them to pieces, and I couldn't imagine my life without them. Uh, my wife, Kim, is just the most incredible mom, and I'm working hard every day to be the best dad I can be, and I think my boys sense that, you know. Um, they know that they're loved by us and, and that mommy and daddy have their best interests at heart, and, and that is um, actually until uh, we ask them to do their homework. <laughs> then we become the embodiment of Satan themselves, right? Um, or, or, or heaven forbid, right, that we ask them to, you know, like, clean their room, right? Like, whenever that happens, my oldest son, who's about to turn 10, he literally just melts into a heap of jello on the floor, just like, hey, Dylan, clean your room. Oh, you know, like, he just, like, falls to the floor. And, like, he's getting big now. He's 10, and I have an old man back, so, like, it's getting harder and harder to peel him off the floor. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes I feel like they're going to eat us out of house and home, and, some, uh, and sometimes it's, like, difficult to get them to eat anything at all. Like, one day they'll, like, love yogurt, right? And, and during quiet time, maybe they'll sneak and eat, like, five yogurts, right? And then the next day, like, we, we offer them yogurt, and it's like we just offered them a dead squirrel for snack or something like that. It's, like, it's the weirdest thing, and... and and it, it continues to be one of the hardest parts of parenting. And Kim and I make them do their homework and chores and, you know, eat food. Why? Because we're the meanest parents on earth, right? No, because we're prepping them for life, right? We are preparing them for a world that is so much bigger than they know. And because they certainly for sure, aren't going to live with us forever. That, that's a given. <laughs> we, we ask them to do these things because we want them to develop good habits that they can carry into adulthood, habits that will help them grow into well-rounded young men and prepare them for, to have families of their own. And, but if I were to ask them why we have them do those things, you know, like do their homework, clean their room, eat food, you know, um, they, they would probably say it's because you're mean and, and you don't want to do it yourself. And which is true. I don't, I don't want to do it myself. Sometimes I don't even want to walk in their room because I'm afraid something will jump out and bite me. Like, (laughs) 
But, it, but if this is their response, then maybe, just maybe, I've missed the mark in communicating with them the big picture of what we are preparing them for. Maybe they would understand more if I didn't just say, do it, because I said so. Actually, what if I tried actually to inspire them with the benefits of knowing how to make healthy choices in the long run? Or maybe they're just kids, right? <laughs> but, but the truth is, when it comes to talking about spiritual disciplines in church, lots of times this is the case. We focus on the to-do list so much that it makes people want to melt into a heap of jello on the floor, right? Like, and we miss out on the bigger picture. And we, we tell people to pray and read their Bible and go to church. And when asked why, too often the answer sounds something like, well, that's what Christians are supposed to do, right? Today we're beginning a new sermon series called Habits of Grace. We're going to spend eight weeks going over some of the basic and big picture elements of spiritual disciplines. And just like I need to communicate to my boys why they do chores and eat healthy foods, it's important for us to discuss the bigger picture of why spiritual disciplines are so important. And it all comes down to grace. So what does the word grace mean? That may seem actually like a silly question to some of you, but for those who haven't spent a lot of time within a body of believers, it's crucial that we communicate this concept well. So what is grace? Well, uh, in simple terms, grace is God's love in action towards men and women who merited the opposite of love. God's grace is God's action. Oh, wait a minute, I messed myself up. Grace means God's love in action towards men and women who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who couldn't lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son from heaven to earth to die on a cross so that we guilty might be reconciled to God and be received into heaven. But there's something you may not know. The grace of God has been roaming wild and free since before the earth was made. I think Ephesians 1 actually says it best. We're going to spend a few moments in Ephesians 1, so if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, Ephesians 1, and, and we're going to begin at verse 3. Um, I think this, this really encapsulates it the best. So starting at verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches 
of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This scripture reminds us of a lot, of, a lot of really good stuff, right? But the first of which in verse 4 is that God the Father chose us before the foundation of the world was made. This fact alone speaks to the wondrous grace of God. He chose us not because he saw anything good in us or because he knew our works would be so great. He knew up front that we would need a Savior, Because otherwise, we would never be able to be holy and blameless in his sight. But despite all that, he was determined to have us as his own. And that's why we're chosen in Jesus Christ. That by itself is an amazing, amazing act of grace. But verse 5 and 6 go on to say, In love he predestined us. For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. So not only has uh, the grace of God been around since before the foundation of the world was laid, but God's grace has a face. And his name is Jesus Christ. The beloved, as verse 6 calls him. And in verse 7 and 9 go on to describe this grace that we have in Jesus. It, It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Did you catch that in verse 8? Did you catch that? He lavished upon us, right? I love that. I seriously, I love that. That makes me so excited. God pours out his grace on us with extravagance, Other synonyms of lavish are generous, bountiful, unsparing. God pours out his grace on you in an unsparing fashion. If God's grace was a rash cream, he will direct you to apply it liberally. Wow. I'm going to keep trucking here. (laughs) Because that's the God we serve, right? The lavish grace of God, determined to have us as his own through the beloved one, Jesus Christ. God lavishes his undeserved grace upon us. But what is a, what, like, what an amazing truth, right? But here's the thing. The grace is his to provide. And he does it with generosity, Right? But the truth is, we don't control the supply. The, think, think of it this way. Say I have a, a light switch in my hand, which is, which is, which is actually easy because I do. Right? Um, so, so, let's, so this is just a normal light switch that you've used like 
a, a million times. You know, I can flick this particular light switch, but, but what's going to happen? No, nothing, right? Nothing. Let's, let's just try it real quick. Okay, here we go. Ready? And, oh, 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 wait, sorry, that was a dirty trick. I'm just kidding. <laughs> sorry, that was a dirty trick. Okay, but so, no, seriously, so this light switch, right? Um, like, it's just a normal old light switch. I can, I can flip it all day long, right? And, and nothing's going to happen. Why? You know, even if there were wires connected to this light switch, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to light anything. Why? Because this, this, uh, this light switch, it's not connected to a source, a power source, right? And, and, and so nothing's going to happen because I can turn the light switch, but I can't provide the electricity, right, that it needs to power a light. Somebody else has to do that. I can flip this light switch all day long, and nothing's going to change unless someone is providing the power. It's the same way with God's grace. While, yes, God pours out his grace upon us in lavish style, often with very little cooperation on our part, but he also has his particular channels, right? He, he, we can't make the grace of God flow, but he has given us circuits to connect that we can be sure about. God has his regular channels that he has promised to pour out his favor on. We can't earn God's grace or make it flow apart from his free gift, but we can, as John Piper says, fight to walk in the paths where he has promised his blessings. That's, what spiritual dis- that's why spiritual disciplines are necessary. God's grace is like an ocean with wave after wave rolling in. And spiritual disciplines are about positioning ourselves in the path of God's grace for maximum saturation. Amen. One perfect example of this is the story of Zacchaeus in the book of Luke. You can go ahead and turn to the book of Luke chapter 19. Uh, I'm sure many of you are very well aware of this story, but for those who aren't, let's set the scene. Uh, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and on the way he passes through a city called Jericho. Jesus not only has his disciples following him at this point, but also a large crowd of people. Everywhere Jesus goes during this time in his ministry, people would follow him, straining to hear every word he had to say, bringing their sick before him and requesting their healing. Needless to say, it was kind of a spectacle, but so much so that Jesus himself a few times had to completely withdraw from the crowds to pray and renew his mind with the Father. But this But on this day, Jesus was passing through Jericho. And as usual, the crowds had formed to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector in Jericho. And that means two very important things. One, he was very rich. Number two, he was very hated by the people in Jericho. Um, Tax collectors at this time were, were very crooked individuals. And I'll resist making any political kind of joke and just keep moving here. Um, they, they were despised as traitors because they chose to, walk, to work for the Roman Empire and would take exorbitant amounts of the Jewish community's money. The Bible also tells us that Zacchaeus 
was small in stature. Some might say he was a wee little man, right? So think of Zacchaeus kind of like Tony Soprano, only really short, right? So Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through Jericho, and something within him gets extremely excited. He makes the decision that he must, uh, he must at least see this man everybody's talking about. But the crowd of people is very large, and he's a small guy. But Zacchaeus is determined to cast his gaze upon Jesus. So let's see what happens. Let's read Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jer- uh, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, this is the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. He also, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So Jesus is coming through, and Zacchaeus was so determined to see Jesus that he climbs up in a tree, which would have been A disgraceful thing for a rich person to do. But nevertheless, he does it. And because he does, salvation comes to his home. Now, Zacchaeus may have been a wee little man, but he modeled this concept by positioning himself along the path of grace. He couldn't force Jesus' hand. He couldn't make grace flow automatically, but he could put himself by faith along the path where grace was coming. So today I encourage you to begin to think of spiritual disciplines as a way to place yourself in the path of God's grace and seek him like Zacchaeus placed himself in the path of Jesus because we can't force Jesus' hand. But we can put ourselves along the path of grace where we can be expectant of his blessing. God's regular channels of grace, as we will see through this sermon series, are in his voice, his ear, and his body. He often, shows, he, he often showers his people with unexpected favor. But typically the grace that sends our roots deepest truly grows us up in Christ, prepares our souls for a new day, and produces lasting spiritual maturity are from the ordinary, unspectacular paths of being in His Word, being in prayer, and being in fellowship. While these simple habits of grace may seem as unimpressive as an everyday light switch, 
Through them, God is regularly standing ready to give us his true light. You're going to hear a lot more about the practices or habits of reading the Bible, praying, and being a part of Christ's church in the weeks ahead. But before we go any further with that, we need to make clear what the greatest grace along these paths is. And that's Jesus himself. The great end to the means is knowing and enjoying him. The final goal in any truly Christian discipline or practice or rhythm of life is, in the words of Paul in Philippians, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When all is said and done, our hope is not to be like skilled Bible readers and practiced eloquent prayers or to get the gold star for perfect attendance in church, right? It, it's, it's like it says in Jeremiah 9. It's to be the one who, who understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And so the big picture in the habits we develop for hearing every word, speaking every prayer, and participating in every act of fellowship is knowing our Savior. Knowing and enjoying Jesus is the end goal of hearing his voice through his word, having his ear in prayer, and belonging to his body, the church. The means of grace and all their good expressions will serve to make us more like him. But only if our focus returns continually to Christ himself, not our own Christ-likeness. Spiritual growth is a marvelous effect of these practices, but in a sense they are only a side effect. The big picture of these practices is knowing and enjoying Jesus. Now, I want to speak directly to people who haven't yet or have recently begun a journey with Christ for a moment, or, or, or maybe you've just recently rededicated yourself to Christ, and you've been away for a while, but now you're back and, and you're hungry for God. I want to make one thing very clear to you before we continue on in this sermon series, is that we are saved by God's free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. And in his own words in the book of John, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And there's nothing we could ever do to earn that grace. It, it was done for us, right? The free gift from God that led to a cross. The last thing we want is for you to view these spiritual disciplines as a list of things you have to do or boxes you have to check to be a good Christian. These aren't just things to do. These are incredible paths that, if explored, God has promised to pour out even more of his favor and grace on your life. Just like sometimes I need 
to help my kids understand the big picture of why they need to do their homework and keep their room clean and how it's not just because I'm mean and like to give them busy work, you know? It's because I'm doing my best to prepare them for a world that is so far greater than they can fully fathom. And yeah, cleaning your room and eating healthy foods isn't glamorous, but it does serve a purpose. And developing these habits now will vastly help them in their journey towards manhood. I can't make the choices for them. All I can do is teach them how to position themselves for for a successful future. And we as believers, new or less new, need to plant ourselves in the path of grace, readying ourselves to be fully saturated with the wave after wave that is God's grace. So that we can begin to fully know and enjoy Jesus, because that's the end goal of all this. These aren't just spiritual disciplines. These are habits of grace. So in the weeks to come, you're going to hear from each member of our teaching team, and we will take a long, hard look at what it looks like to develop these habits of grace in our time with God's Word, in our prayer life, and in our community of believers. And I promise If you are hungry and looking to deepen your relationship with God, you do not want to miss a single week of this series. So as the worship team comes, let's pray. Father God, we just take a moment and we we just thank you for the endless ocean that is your grace. God, we just take a moment and we... We just remember that your grace is is, uh, continually washing over us, Lord. God, we, we thank you, God, that we can choose into positioning ourselves in the path of grace, Lord. Father, help us to realize that this is so much more than just a list of things to do. We're fighting for our connection with you in a world that wants us to be completely distracted from you. Lord, you walk alongside us daily. You see us. You know the depths of our hearts, Lord. You know where we've blown it. And you know where we're striving. Father, let us plan ourselves by the water of your glorious grace. Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be called sons and daughters of you that you called us through your son, Christ Jesus. The beloved. Father, we just simply say thank you. So as the ushers come forward, 
Father God, we ask you to bless this offering, Lord. We bring to you what is already yours, God. You've gifted us with everything. Our ability to earn, our ability to give. And so we give back to you what is already yours, Lord, that that you've given us. Father, bless it, multiply it, send it out to serve the least, last, and lost. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.